Hey everybody, it's Greg. I've just done something I think I've never done before. For the first time in, I'm pretty sure my entire life, I ordered delivery. Not just any delivery, but gig economy delivery. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) I signed up to Grubhub and because friend of the show, Wes, was kind enough to join me here on the boat. Hi, Wes. Hey, guys. Well, why don't you tell us, Wes, you discovered this on the internet somehow. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a terrible person, so I, I use gig economy delivery uh, more more than once in my entire life. But I did, in the process of looking up dinner a week ago, discover that DJ Khaled, uh, not Khalid, but Khaled, whatever, uh, has opened up a number of ghost kitchens in, well, around the country, but a few of them are in Seattle. And uh, so we decided to partake a little bit of that tonight. Yeah, so we ordered from DJ Khalid's Another Wing (laughs) restaurant. And uh, we ordered the bone-in wing combo with a selection of sauces and a couple different flavors. And we also got some some chicken tenders in multiple flavors. Lots of, almost had six different sauces. And came with some french fries as well. Um, Wes, what's your what's your your review? Are we recommending that listeners go out and try DJ Khalid's Ghost Kitchen Wings? If you really would like to get a sticker of a Rolls Royce with hologram your wings, sticker. then yes, yeah, hologram sticker. Uh, otherwise, absolutely not. <laughs> why, why did we do this? Oh my god! <laughs> We've just like taken a year off of our life for basically a meme meal. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not exactly proud of it. <clears throat> Eating poison for clout. Are we going to get clout for this? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's what podcasting is. Uh-huh. So, sure, sure. <laughs> this was, I mean, we were expecting what? Like, you know, basic, like, cheap, shitty wing place food. Like, uh, what's what's it? Uh, wing, wing stop. Wing stop, you know, wing dome. Uh, I got to say, you could do better by going to Buffalo Wild Wings. And I don't say that lightly. <laughs> DJ Khalid, you serve you served us. You put your name, your image, your catchphrases, your lyrics, I assume, on what I am not exaggerating was middle school cafeteria food. Literally everything we just ate came I am positive came obviously frozen, breaded, flavored, whatever, on the I think, but like the lowest rung, unlike the food services of America truck, like the the, the shooting star yeah. on the white semi, you know. The little sugar packets. The waffle fries we got might have been clearly, the worst. Clearly, they were clearly something that was pre-cooked and then frozen, and meant to be which, thrown which into a fryer. Which we expected. We yeah, expected yeah, it's frozen not... fries. Yes, but we, I definitely expected that they would have been dropped in a fry later at some point before reaching us. And based on the temperature, color, and flavor, and stale texture i'm pretty sure they were taken out of the freezer and put in a steamer oven and steamed yeah they were some of the worst shit i've ever eaten in my life yeah i uh i love me a french fry but oof. i'll admit i don't know a ton about dj khaled and mostly what i know about him is from the you know gif of him telling people that they've played themselves and we played ourselves Welcome back to Mechanical Freak. 
a podcast you all know and love, folks, from Seattle, from New York, from all around the globe, coming at you with straight facts. And today, we got a banger of an episode talking to Starbucks workers. But first, Greg, I gotta, I gotta say, man, um, really amazing that you did eat uh, cafeteria food with the Got Milk <laughs> oh poster, with Michael Jordan's <laughs> Got Milk poster on the board uh, for clout. I think that that's cool. I think it's also cool how both of you guys um, pronounced DJ Khaled's name wrong. I think that that's also amazing, too. Uh, still, um, you said, I think, well, Khalid well, and then West Khaled. Just, oh, wait. Wes didn't even get it right West when he was trying right. to correct no, me? he was trying to correct ah! you. And he didn't get it right. Oh, my God. That rocks. Wes, you fool. You idiot. You look so stupid. Congratulations. You played yourself. Oh, man. We played ourselves so fucking hard. Uh, he actually might be dead now. The last time I heard from him on Twitter, he uh, had not passed any of DJ Khalid's food. So um, for all okay. I know... He had a bowel obstruction and uh, died. So just yeah, well, R.I.P. Man, you know, at least he got <laughs> a kicker he of also, Maybach. What the, I cannot. That is such great news. This has made my day. That he also fucked up the name. I I, I gasped when you guys both <laughs> fucked up the name. He's like, no, 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 it's not Khalid. It's Khaled. It's like, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. Oh, my God. Do not. I mean, look, we did it so you don't have to. Do not, as a goof, order from <laughs> DJ Khalid's uh, fucking scam restaurant. He's being scammed. You're being scammed. Uh, you know, like someone, like when he, someone pitched this to him, like, yeah, this would be great. This is awesome. You're going to make some money. This is a branding expansion for you. It's going to be big. Eventually, you'll have real restaurants. And then they served him some real food with his picture on it. That yeah. like a real like someone made in a kitchen and he's like, yeah, this this is delicious. I want to share this with the world, I'm sure. And then, you know, uh, no doubt his people like do not allow him to taste the real shit because, yeah, absolutely wretched, wretched. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they contacted Geo Group and were like, yo, who's your food <laughs> contractor? Let, let, let me get in on that shit. Nightmarish. Uh, a, a major mistake uh, that I will not repeat. Don't, don't do it. Even for the lulls, for the goofs, even if you love disgusting fast food, this is not. That. It's just not. It's, it's like it's like a bad look, movie that's just actually bad and not even in a funny way. Yes, it sounds like. Yeah, even if you doesn't when you, go to Tommy Wiseau, the room It's just like it's just bad. With when no even the fries quality. are disgusting. When the fries have never ever even been fried. Um. Yeah. Oh, don't even. Oh just God. don't. Just stay the fuck away. Yeah. So we. So. Awesome uh, episode coming up here. We've got three inspiring comrades from Starbucks Workers United um, to tell us all about uh, what's going on here in the Puget Sound region uh, nationally. So, uh, yeah, without further ado, here they are. Let's get it. Hey everybody, yep. it's Greg. Uh, Muni and I are very pleased to bring you today three voices of local Starbucks Workers United organizers uh, with a bunch of great news. We've got a friend of the show, returning guest Sydney from the Broadway and Denny store. We've got our new friend Billy from a store in Olympia. And we've got Liz here from 
the flagship, the roastery on Capitol Hill. Uh, say hi, everybody. How you doing, Sydney? Hi, thanks for having me again. Super excited to be back. This is my first time here, but I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for being here, Billy. Uh, Liz. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for coming. We're really excited to talk to you about this mm -hmm. stuff. Uh, we'll just get right into it. Obviously, exciting times. Sydney, I don't remember where we left off the last time you were on the show, what the state was. But I mean, I'm going to ask you about that stuff. But first, um, maybe for people, Sydney, who didn't catch the last time you were on, which we'll link to here. Um, tell us, you know, a little about yourself, how you came to be uh, organizing at your store and what the state of that is, like where is the uh, Broadway and Denny store right now? Yeah, wow. I think the last time we talked, I think we were still waiting for our election date. So that was um, so. a hot minute ago. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, I think we were just about to find out. I think it would have been a little bit after that, that we found our election date. Um, but for those who uh, didn't check last time, uh, kind of the too long didn't read version of it is... Um, we basically just got frustrated at our store during a captive audience meeting. Um, so they kind of wanted to try to get ahead of things and union bust us early. But all it did was make us want to unionize our store more with this captive audience meeting. Um, so we, me and Mumbrookers United set up a meeting. We filed in 72 hours. And within 72 hours from talking to Starbucks Workers United, we had filed. Um, then we had a lengthy hearing process to make sure we could file as an individual store. And after that process, uh, we were given our election date, and that brings us to now. Um, we had our election, and we won our vote completely unanimously. Hell yeah. Let's go. Woo and we became the, yeah, yeah, <laughs> hell yeah. We became the first unionized Starbucks um, on the West Coast and in Seattle. Hell yeah. Incredible. That's incredible. That's history Congratulations right there. to you and your comrades. You. Solidarity with uh, all the baristas of the world. Great news. Yeah. Billy, tell us about yourself, uh, how you came to want to organize at your store in Olympia and what's going on there. I think like almost every store, like the more that we uh, continue to meet people from other stores and just hear everyone's experience um, at Starbucks and pretty much everyone in the service industry, we're all kind of living the same life. Um, just mm -hmm. experiencing, you know, mismanagement and unsafe working conditions. Uh, all of us are working way too hard and we're not being adequately compensated. Um, and, you know, I would do this thing with my best friend. Uh, we're both openers. And after our shift, almost every day, we would sit in her car for like hours just venting about the the day and just how bad it was and at this point off um, the clock yeah off the yeah, clock talking say. about work you know when you start bringing it home with you that's when you know you got to do something because like for a while you know i just have always had this um philosophy that like you know this is just a job and i'm not taking it home with me i've always kind of done that and you know this that that stopped happening you know it would follow me home and mm. we would sit and we would talk like, well, what are we going to do? And be like, we could transfer. And she'd be like, well, we're just going to experience the same stuff at a different store. It's like we could quit. But, you know, when you think about the alternative, which is probably going to another service job, 
um, you're just going to experience the same stuff in this industry. And at this point, um, I think the roastery had just filed and, you know, there was just, there was a lot of talk and there was a lot of like excitement and activity. And I said, well, what if we unionize? What if we just reach out to the national account and like, see what the first steps are. Um, and we got, we had that first meeting and within like two weeks, we had our union card signed and we were ready to go. Um, oh, yeah. wow, two weeks. That's amazing. That's an amazing turnaround. How many baristas are at that store? Um, <laughs> it fluctuates so often. Um, there were 30 people that were eligible to vote. Um, I think currently we have like 27 um, workers. Wow. Um, Sounds pretty large. Is that like typical for a, a Starbucks uh, store or is that larger it, than usual? It varies. Um, it's, I mean, I, the restaurant has like 70 workers, um, but like oh. we, I, I would say that's pretty standard for like a high volume store. We're the busiest mm-hmm. store in our district. Um, we're, mm-hmm. And we're also like, I don't know, full service. It's like drive through cafe, mobile, Uber. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I would say that's standard for like all the, amenities that we offer but yeah we had our vote on friday the 29th and uh we won our election it was 19 to 2 um and we're unionized congratulations yeah ring that bell let's go (laughs) all right so that just just friday just just four days ago yeah it's been nonstop ever since no doubt no doubt (laughs) um that that's that's fantastic uh liz thank you so much for coming yeah thanks for having me uh tell us a little bit about yourself um how you uh came to want to be an organizer at your store and tell us about uh the exciting stuff going down at the roastery yeah uh so my name is liz Uh, i've been at the roastery since the beginning of the year um when i got there just immediately i was super interested and involved with, you know, the, the Workers United movement that's been going on around the country. I have a lot of history working in union shops, and this was actually the first job I've worked at that wasn't unionized. And so immediately I was like, hey, what's going on around here? I, uh, I didn't actually find out about that they were unionizing until they filed. That's when I was like, oh, wait, no, so they're actually doing it already. Um, and then immediately, you know, I got in touch with the organizers at the store, got on board, got involved, and just, you know, like I said, for me, it's always been a big passion, like, you know, community organizing and and unions especially is just something I've always really valued and I've always I've always chosen to work in union workplaces before and I just really wanted to bring that you know everywhere that I went and it's been exciting and you know we, we won our vote at the roastery um but you know yeah, it just shows congratulations. the power and solidarity yeah boom 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 there we go that's fantastic um this uh, it's so awesome to hear that I mean that's why we wanted to have you back Sydney to hear like to just do the victory dance with us um we want to <laughs> we want to see you do that and uh we'll keep wanting that I think uh, <laughs> as as more stores uh keep unionizing um maybe now uh you can tell us like give us a picture if you can about like uh what the state of the effort here is in the Seattle area. So obviously you told us um, that Broadway and Denny was the first to secure a vote and win uh, 
in the area on the West Coast, I guess. Um, Billy's store in Olympia, obviously. We know that the roastery also won their election. What else is going on? Like, what are the numbers? I want to say, Sydney, correct me if I'm wrong, with my with my store and Holman Road, that makes 10 unionized in mm-hmm. our area. I believe so. Yeah. Um, so there's 10 Incredible. stores in Washington that are a certified union. And I c- can't even confirm or deny how many people are actually organizing in the Pacific Northwest. There's so many. Yeah, I was going to say I have no idea on the actual numbers of how many stores have filed because it's now sure. too many for us to count. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, there's more announcements coming out all the time. And if, you know, it all it starts with a few people talking. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm guessing that's happening. And at, at least that is happening at probably every Starbucks in America. Someone's mm-hmm. having that conversation, right? Like, there's not there's not a Starbucks somewhere where two workers haven't turned to each other and said, you know, what's this shit about? <laughs> Maybe we should do this, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, what about uh, nationally then? Do we have like a sense like of how many I- I've heard it's now over 200 have announced that they're yes. doing drives. But like, do we have a general sense of how many have actually voted now and won? I would say maybe about 45 ish. Yeah, okay. around in there. I was going to say 30 to 40. And it's just about everyone has voted has won right there's like a few that are being challenged right but it's the success rate is pretty high so far yeah i saw a graphic that was like um greatest like losses in sports history like worst records in sports history and it was like the 77 capitals like the detroit lions like <laughs> the cleveland browns and then howard schultz like <laughs> two out of however many that have like 45 or whatever <laughs> oh yeah uh he's doing great he's keep up the good work howard <laughs> Yeah, so they brought back in Howard Schultz as CEO, as we've talked about on the show, um, to, I guess, staunch the bleeding. They think he's some kind of hero over there at headquarters. He's going to come in and and fix it all. And pretty much uh, right mm-hmm. after that, the roastery popped off and uh, won their election. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's amazing. Um, it's very significant for, you know, this kind of like elite class of, you know, workers in a way to, um, you know, band together and still um, unionize um, coming from the momentum of other stores doing that too. So um, that's just, that's just really cool to see. Uh, And I guess, was it for you, you know, coming from a labor background um, was organizing the roastery uh, a, was it more of a challenge to get them on board where they're more like kind of alignments with management or was it kind of straightforward what you've kind of seen with other stores too? So the way that I describe it is kind of like what you were saying is it's, it's a very different experience. It's like a Disneyland of coffee. It's a very premium thing. It's, it's, you know, a lot of people will see it as sort of like, you know, if you're, if you're the, if you're the best in your class, this is where you go. And so for a lot of people that are there, they're really passionate about Starbucks. And, you know, you know, I think rightly so. A lot of people who work for Starbucks do like working for Starbucks and they like being a barista. They like work, you know, they like their customers and so on. And, and with the roastery, it's just that just like turned up another level. It's people who are mm-hmm. really passionate about, you know, how they got there and their journey that the, in the path that like gave them that opportunity. And so there was a lot more people that were, you know, well, you know, I got this opportunity because of Starbucks and I got here because of, you know, the history that I have with the company. And I think that definitely, 
it made it made it a much more of a challenge on getting people to understand like what the role of a union is, what the benefit of a union is, what we stand to gain, and you know the you know solidarity and community and power in numbers and all that. Um, you know, we did we did win our vote. Uh, it wasn't a landslide like most stores have been, and you know that's what I tell people is that it just goes to show that there's still a lot more work to do to you know make sure we really are representing everyone and you know building a true community around it. But for me, the biggest thing was that like so many people in, you know, in every store that I go into, I was like, yeah, by the way, I work at the Rosary. We just want our union vote. They're like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. We're so like inspired by you guys and it's so powerful. And that's really the message I wanted to carry forward is when we're like this, you know, so many people see it as just like this whole other thing, you know, special place up on the hill, which, you know, it's, uh, it can, it definitely can be like a, a uh, an inspiration to, to other people in the area, in the community, people at all these other stores. We have so many resources so many partners that can help out in different areas and it just gives us a great opportunity to really you know be such a, a, a big step forward in the movement in the in the community i think yeah yeah, yeah no, that's, that's amazing so this being you know a little different the roastery being basically the flagship store of starbucks um and you having this little bit of a different situation um well yeah i mean first tell us liz like what was this, what was organizing like among, you know, I mean, this sort of uh, group of employees, you said, you know, you didn't win in a landslide, but you won. Like, how do you think from what you've heard from other stores, like, what was, did you have to use different tactics? Did you have to use different arguments with people? Like, what was your, um, what was the the drive effort like here? Yeah. So like I said, I only came in kind of partway through it. Um, but at the same time, there was a lot of active hiring going on when I started as well. And so um, as much as they like other organizers already like got the ball rolling by the time I got involved, there was still a lot more work to be done when I did get there. Um, I wouldn't say it was inherently different than what people deal with at uh, other core stores or with the, you know, with other Starbucks stores about, you know, the, the kind of the, the things that you tell people in the, in the, in the ways that you tell them about the union are kind of the same. It's just how it's received was just different. You know, I think people that are from, Washington from the Pacific Northwest or, or work at local stores, they're, they're much more, um, I think they're much more susceptible, much more vulnerable to the tactics of Starbucks. They're a much smaller group. They're a lot, they're seen as a lot more, you know, there, there's one on every block is the attitude that I think the company has towards them. And so, you know, they're a lot more willing to stand up and say, Hey, you know, you know, we need to band together for this. Um, and I think the company's tactics at the roastery weren't any different than the tactics they used at other stores. And the way that we, you know, fought back against them was essentially the same as well. We just, you know, here's the facts, here's the information, here's the community. And I think the only real unique thing about it is that there's a hundred employees there. And so there was 10 organizers and each person kind of just had like, all right, this is my group of people that I got to focus on because this is the only people that I ever see. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's been a huge like boost, I think to mm -hmm. morale, the morale of every Starbucks organizer in the country. Um, just to see the the flagship store uh, raise the union flag there. Um, uh, congratulations again. So, uh, you know, that brings us to talking about, um, you know, I was at, uh, I had the pleasure of attending the uh, White Starbucks union busting rally uh, last Saturday, uh, the 23rd, um, which begs the question, is Starbucks union busting? <laughs> yeah I'd, I'd say they absolutely are um they're not in the way that like it's a very different approach than um you know it's like i can't remember the exact analogy like the carrot and the stick you know it's like ones to like poke you ones to coax you 
Um, when I mean, you compare it to something like Amazon, where their tactics are in, in incredibly aggressive and like no shame what they're doing, it felt like it was a lot of what Starbucks is doing is they're like, oh, mm, we could take things away, but if you stay with us, we'll give you more. You know, they're really trying to like coax people or shame people or scare people, but they're not, their their tactics are far less bold and aggressive than I'd say what others are. So it's hard to, you know, describe sometimes, at least from, from my experience, of course, I can't speak to other stores, but this is what it felt like with us, you know, in the roastery. And there was, you know, there was captive audience meetings that we filed, you know, unfair labor practices against management there over, you know, things like that, trying to coax people into, you know, oh, let's have a one-on-one conversation. Hey, what are your thoughts on the union? And it's like, you know, things like that, that their their goal is to like, so like discontent and doubt and fear with these meetings. And, you know, they, they tried breaking up, breaking us up into smaller groups to talk about it. And if there wasn't an organizer in that meeting, then there was no one there to, you know, push back with the facts. And that was, I think, the biggest challenge. And that the the confidence I think was much higher before the captive audience meetings. And I think that that just goes to show that they, you know, they knew what they were doing historically speaking, captive audience meetings and, and things like that have been shown to be an effective union busting tactic. And Starbucks really tried to, tries to employ that in, in the tactics that they use in stores. And they definitely did in the roastery. Well, look, if, if the, if the chief union buster is uh, going on, uh, that being Howard Schultz uh, going on and um, rocking Tom Brown, I'm sorry, but like as a fashion head, like that's not going to work on me. That fit was trash. Like you got it. We got it. We got to end Tom Brown, like look, looking like a Victorian era ass, like, you know, neo-colonial British dude with that shit on. Mm-hmm. Look out of here. That th- are you talking about his like rugby sweater that he was wearing? Yeah, he was, like, like, had a rugby sweater with like that. Like the, the Tom Brown is known for like having like the um like the band around the arm, you know. Sure. Um, <laughs> it's like a white band around the arm. I know what, I know what fit you're talking about. It's so ugly. <laughs> oh my god! Okay. It was well, a that, trash fit. This begs so the question for Liz: Did you get the Howard visit? The coveted Howard like. Uh, traveling uh, storytime road show with Uncle Senile Uncle <laughs> with, Howard with, with the with the broom. Uh, you know the funny thing is, the roastery gets visits from Howard often enough. Like so, yeah. him to visit isn't something to write about. I guess um, I I we never got anything from him in the in the you know he never came by and did any kind of like you know oh the company's great you know you don't need a union he never did any of those meetings but we still we see him every once in a while he comes in and you know gets things from the from there but no we never got a we never got a personal anti-union visit from him bummer bummer you missed out uh Mm -hmm. because that's a nice roastery you got there it'd be a shame (laughs) shame Um, uh, the workers were to take it (laughs) we have this joke at my store store we were like if howard comes to our store he goes, and we're just going to like gaslight him and pretend we don't recognize him. He's going to be like, it's me. It's Howie. We're going to be like, do you, have, do you have a mobile Ooh. order? Do you have a mobile? Yeah. Over, pick it up over do there. you have a rewards card? Literally. He's like, no, I'm a partner. And we're like, okay, go do the dreams. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> go change the trash. Uh, Apparently awesome. he's come in the building and I haven't even recognized him. Like, Good. like Good. truly, I, I was like, oh, they're like, oh yeah, Howard, Howard Schultz was here in the building. He was, and I was like. Who? And we'll be like, we'll be like okay, Howard, what are your partner numbers? And he'll be like, one. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, so we heard, you know, we heard from Sydney when you were here last, Sydney, about the union busting at um, Broadway and Denny. Um, uh, Billy, what about in Olympia? I mean, what 
were there specific tactics were that were they any different from what you just heard from Liz uh, at the roastery? Like, you know, were there any any call outs, any any important retaliations you want to highlight there? Um, definitely a couple. Um, when we started organizing, um, I may or may not have said some things to my store manager to uh, let her know that we were organizing and that she should be prepared. I said verbatim. Honey, you got a big storm coming. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and she was like terrified and trying to like get me to divulge more information. And I may or may not have called her a spineless coward um, and just told her that none of us are happy. And, um, you know, you need to be prepared for us speaking up for ourselves and standing up for ourselves. The very next day that I was scheduled to work, I was getting slapped with a time and attendance write up. Um, and for the record, do not have time and attendance issues. Um, but they're like, Oh, all of a sudden there's this pattern of behavior. And till this, to this day, mm-hmm. no one else has been written up for time and attendance. Um, wow. Additionally. Um, yeah. People were just being like, um, I think everybody nationwide has had their hours cut. Um, as a way to really, uh, I don't know, like in my head, I'm thinking to myself that it's sending a message to non-unionized stores that you see what happens when you unionize. Like, look at your mm-hmm. your fellow partners across the country. They're starting trouble and they got your hours cut. So, you know, that's who you have to thank for your hours being cut. Um, also, we had a, a little letter from our store manager and our district manager and our regional manager telling us that if we vote yes, they would freeze our wages and our benefits. Um, and hey buddy, that's, that's illegal. That's, that's so illegal. Crime. Literally. Yeah. It's literally illegal. <laughs> and it's like, that's literally illegal. If you're like using like critical thinking skills, you know, and we know that they legally cannot do that, but they can just say anything in those letters to use it yeah. as like a scare t- tactic. They're fear mongering. And it's like, if you are undecided about the union and you see, we're going to freeze your benefits and your wages immediately, you'd be like, Oh, Ooh, okay. Well maybe I will vote now. Um, so they, it's not that they have any real intention of doing that because they'll get a fat lawsuit, but they can still say it and it'll have that same power. And they know that. Yeah. Well, uh, sounds like you, you and your comrades pushed through it regardless. So, Sydney, that brings us back to uh, the Fight Starbucks Union Busting Rally, again, which I attended and uh, from which we marched down from uh, from the park down to uh, Westlake. Uh, you know, big, big attendance, big draw. I assume a lot of Starbucks workers, but also, you know, just comrades from around the city. Uh, can you tell us maybe about the focus of that and because I think there were some demands uh, surrounding that that you were asking um, the people of the city to come out and support no yeah so um, basically with that it was um, kind of like a general call to action with um, just awareness in the city of what Starbucks has been doing and what we as you know workers are fighting for and um, kind of what um, our ideas are for what we're kind of going into bargaining, what we're going into um, just trying to kind of solidify um, 
a national sort of feeling of um, invigoration uh, for this movement um, by doing things like that. We also have um, certain demands um, that we are trying to solidify, like um, like healthcare benefits, um, which um, you know, there's healthcare that is aff- afforded to uh, Starbucks employees, and that's like a big thing that they really tout. Um, but that insurance is so prohibitively expensive that a lot of partners that need it most can, don't have access to it. Mm. Um, so we're looking for reduced fees on that healthcare and increased coverage, um, such as gender affirming healthcare that, again, they tout, but they don't actually provide for a reasonable rate. Um, we are looking for um, credit card tipping. It's an absolute crime that we just don't have that. Um, yeah, it's weird. It's that is it, weird. I mean, in every coffee shop in New York, like you, that's a given that they'll have like a little like square, uh, you know, iPad that they'll flip over and you mm-hmm. tap a percentage. You know, like that's it's pretty standard yeah. at stores the, now. The bodega discourse rears its head yet again. <laughs> again. You, you can you can tip via credit card everywhere in America except Starbucks. Again. Is the point? Okay. New supremacy. York is the supremacy. only. The only place you can buy a sandwich. (laughs) No, no. In every place in America that takes credit cards and is a service industry, except Mm -hmm. Starbucks, you can leave a tip. It's It's very weird weird. when you go into Starbucks. I get confused. Like, I'm Mm -hmm. like, where everyone does start staring. You're like, what? Like, what's going on? And then I often I usually have cash on me. So it's but like, yeah, most at this point, probably most people don't. There's like, oh, don't even notice, you know, like. Honestly, I believe it's about productivity and like efficiency. Like I'm just imagining when it does get rolled out at my store, you know, being the busiest store in my district with drive through just always wrapped around the store. I'm just imagining our cute little 80 year old regulars being like, I want a credit card tip you guys. And then trying to figure out how to press the button and how to go through it. Starbucks would lose their mind. They're like, your drive times are taking too long. Your drive times are way too high. And that's probably why they, they don't want to do it because our drive times They want to be fast food. They don't want to yeah. be a cafe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's yeah. probably what it is. That, that, yeah, that and does, I had, that makes sense. I had a, um, a brand new partner ask literally yesterday, why don't we have credit card tipping? And I was like, I don't know, man, just a little oh, ways companies we... keep you down. <laughs> yeah. So it sounds like then if I'm getting this correctly that you know starbucks workers united is in addition to organizing at individual stores to uh win union elections and then bargain for contracts you are simultaneously organizing for greater benefits and working conditions for all starbucks employees nationwide yeah it's it's definitely it's definitely um uh, kind of a patchwork strategy, I would say right now. Um, there's not a ton of like direction nationally on sort of what those benefits were look like for everyone. So I think we're taking a kind of regional approach with the Pacific Northwest and sort of what we're bargaining for. Mm -hmm. Um, both of y'all can add to that with things if you would like. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, nothing to add in particular, but just yeah, that <laughs> we're really focusing yeah, on like yeah. a, a regional perspective on things. And, and is that in terms of uh, the contract negotiations as well? Mm. Yeah. Is- so I think it's in terms of kind of all aspects of it, really. The, the idea is to be a unified message so that 
Starbucks can't bully one store into taking a bad contract because that store happens to have, you know, let's say they don't have a good negotiator at that store. And it's like, that's not their fault. They're just trying to secure, you know, a better, a better life really. And, uh, and so the, I, I think the idea is to just say, Hey, you know, let's pull like pull our resources together. We got this huge community. We've got dozens of stores, you know, that are, you know, it's going to be a tidal wave and, yeah. You know, the the bigger the community that we have and the more people that we have at that table and the more like unified our message is, the less that Starbucks can like chip away at what they what they see is like the weaker links in this, you know. So angling for a a universal contract, if possible, yeah. that is the well, same potentially. everywhere. Mm-hmm. I think the idea, you know, having having like a national baseline, I think is definitely something a lot of people would love to see. Um, yeah. And then, you know, because I mean, everywhere's got different laws, everywhere's got different priorities in, in a lot of ways. And, you know, putting something like in Seattle, we've got compared to a lot of other places, Seattle's got some pretty good worker protections. And so how our contract gets worded could be different than somewhere in, you know, a different part of the state or even different part of the country, of course. But there's definitely certain things that's like, these are like, this should be the bare minimum anyway. Like this, why isn't this the law? This should be our national baseline, because this yeah. is stuff that should be like basic human rights, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, there's power in a union. So, um, uh, going back, going back to the, the rally, um, Sydney, uh, do you have a sense of how many, I, I got the impression there were people from Starbucks stores out of state and from all over who came for the rally. Do you have a sense of like how many stores and were represented and from where? Yeah, we had workers from, uh, Kansas city. We had workers from Michigan. We had workers from, um, Phoenix, Memphis and New York. Uh, New York. Wow, solidarity from all over. I, I imagine. Do you know people from Seattle going out to visit other places as well? Uh, not uh, yet. It's more that like we've had people flown in like for our rallies, um, but uh, in the future that might coincide with you know solidarity actions from other cities if we coordinate that. And are people usually flying into Seattle because, of course, like we have like a lot of organized stores, but also just because it's like the uh, metropole, so to speak, like the city where mm-hmm. Starbucks is founded and has its headquarters? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, awesome. Got it. Because on the front lines then. Um, There's definitely yeah. an element of that for sure where it's like, well, this is where we're going to send the strongest message because it's like, you know, it's in Starbucks's name. You know, it's like, we're, you know, we're at their front door. Um, you know, we're at their flagship stores, we're at their first store, we're, you know, mm-hmm. you know, we're, 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 we're right there and we're knocking. And mm-hmm. I think that's kind of the message that, that that's trying to be sent. Yeah. Uh, well, I think, I think they're hearing it. Um, and they heard some, they heard some, if they were listening, if Howard and. No, Rest Howard's of- our number one patron. He, he actually, uh, funds this show. Uh, he, he's in our top tier. <laughs> yeah. If, and if, and if he and the executives at headquarters were listening, uh, at the rally at either end of it, uh, they would have heard some interesting things. So first, of course, um, uh, they would have heard from some, uh, some Starbucks workers, um, some who were, who had been fired, retaliated against, um, her demands that those people be reinstated. Um, they also would have heard from uh, our favorite, uh, one of our faves, council member Shama Sawant. And uh, Shama gave uh, a, 
a real, you know, a classic Shama barn burner of a speech that um, obviously, you know, in solidarity, standing with Starbucks workers and this whole effort, but also like veering into a uh, a like a militant history of the American labor movement. Um, and uh, just a quote here, I uh, she said, if we are to build on what we know is dramatic and historic potential in the proud American working class, then we're going to need a clean break with the failed ideas of business unionism. What we need instead is a class struggle approach, the kind of militant fighting ideas that our American labor movement was built on. Now, this is the kind of rhetoric. I mean, this then this was part of, you know, a whole sort of explanation of some of the history of the labor movement and really highlighting the the differences between class struggle, militant organizing and business unionism, uh, where, uh, unions become basically an arm of a corporation and, uh, you know, are really there to just facilitate the, uh, management essentially. Sorry. So is business unionism, like are the members management usually, or is it, is it just like a different approach to forming a, like a workers union? My understanding is that it's an ideology. Yeah, I see. Yeah, the closest analog I could think of would be the like, like the, the like the the much larger traditionalist kind of unions, the, the really big organizations, you know, like Teamsters and UFCW and 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 ones like that, where it's it's a very big like hierarchical structure with you know, and I think that they have a very different ideology to they're not they're not what you would call rank and file, mm. um, which is very much what like the you know. Workers United and as a whole and what the Starbucks Workers United movement is and the approach. And I think it's kind of speaking to that idea that with, you know, a, a continuous history of declining union membership nationwide and, and you know, labor laws being more and more in favor of protecting businesses, the the approach of, you know, of like that kind of different ideology. I, I mean, that, that that is my best interpretation of, of what uh, Sawant was trying to say. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, essentially, the big unions became co-opted uh in the second half of the last century they became bureaucratic <laughs> yeah and uh rather than you know uh militantly fighting for you know the united interests of a working class uh basically ex- have existed in large part to just maintain the smooth operation of business and at best have been bargaining over the last 30 years for just to make the the pay cuts uh, a little less and to keep you know a little more of the health plans and the pensions as they go away and to, you know, to, to facilitate uh, taking these cuts in exchange for not closing the plant and moving it to another country or something for another five years. And this has been the decline of, of uh, American unions. That's just like a weak union, basically. It's like uh, the harm reduction approach instead of like, oh, we get, we should get more. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, not, not on a, militant rank and file path of trying to take power over a corporation, you know, um, and, but really just, uh, facilitating that, that industry. Um, so obviously like we expect to hear this language from Shama. She's always been fighting for this kind of class struggle politics. And that's no different in, you know, her view of the union movement. But, you know, I was interested to hear, repeatedly from a number of speakers and I, you know, I think yourself included Sydney, um, a similar perspective. I maybe 
you know, yeah, I want to hear that perspective from you, you know, for those people, our listeners who weren't there, maybe you can restate uh, some of what your view on what Workers United's strategy should is and should be going forward and how that's, um, how you think of that as different from what a lot of established labor unions are doing. Yeah, I think, I think there's definitely like a, there's lots of really good positives in what's going on right now. I think it's very, very worker led, which is, um, incredibly important. Um, we need workers in the forefront of this movement, making the decisions at the bargaining table, um, drafting our resolutions, which we are, it's a very, um, involved process with, um, rank and file members. Um, I think that a lot of what we're doing, you know, on the ground with rallies, with um, marches, with days of action, with strikes, with walkouts are all really, really um, crucial building stones to this movement. And it's great to see that happen. And it's great to see that continue to pop up. I think um, I think that kind of because of the nature of how fast this movement has grown and how um, widespread it's become, there's kind of a missing national baseline um, for kind of what our strategy is in um, what our demands are going forward. And I think that's kind of being filled by regional groups like ourselves that are kind of coming up and building what works for the Pacific Northwest. Um, and I think they're building what works in Buffalo and Buffalo. Um, mm-hmm. So I would like to see a little bit more coherency in terms of what our strategy is as a movement. But I think that the way that we are so worker led and maybe our pitfalls are because we are so young and so busy learning the structure. But I think as an, overall, it's um, it's really promising. You know, as uh, as we were standing there listening, re- you know, we were hearing this rhetoric of um, this, you know, a, a worker led uh, rank and file militant union rhetoric. And a friend of the show, uh, Jacob, remarked that it seemed like there was possibly like a conscious effort to focus on political education in the rhetoric. And what I mean is that, uh, you know, there's there's a way to talk about um, union drives, uh, unionization effort that is sort of strictly about wages and benefits, working conditions, the kind of things that you would bargain for in a contract. And again, this is, you know, what's much more typical way of talking about unions in America, the way uh, business unionism will talk about it. But we were hearing about, you know, not only this sort of a class struggle approach to unionizing Starbucks, but also uh, extrapolation to the possible like future uh, power that that could lead to. So we were hearing people talk about uh, unionizing Starbucks workers as a necessary political step to building the kind of power that would be necessary to, for example, confront climate change. Is that reflective of just the mood among individual speakers or are these the kind of conversations that's going on? You know, there's there's multiple reasons to want to organize the working class. There's getting better wages and benefits and there's building class power. Are these discussions that are happening um, at your stores uh, and is this a conscious like choice, at least maybe here in the Pacific Northwest to talk about it in this way, to explain it in this way to a larger uh, audience and to um, other Starbucks workers? I would definitely agree that this is a conversation that most people are having. Um, if 
they are looking at the big picture and realizing that this goes so far beyond the Pacific Northwest or Starbucks as a company. Um, It really is about the service industry. It really is about the working class as a whole. Specifically, also, like, thinking about, like, climate change and the future of what um, our world will look like, I would go out on a limb and say that where the job's going to be in green tech and um, we need to do the work now to protect these jobs in these industries because like, yeah, it, equity and ending like wealth inequality and really promoting and maintaining the collective power of people who are doing the work. And I think a lot of people recognize that. And at least I know down in Olympia, like we love a cause. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we love a cause. Um, And so realizing that, you know, we're doing this for us. Yes. But we're doing it for anybody who needs a job and anybody who does not have generational wealth. Um, and anybody who, um, wants to be involved in their community in any way, but don't know, don't really have the resources to begin or how to go about it. Um, it, it's definitely a multifaceted thing and it's not just Starbucks for sure. Well, that, I mean, that's really, that's super awesome to hear um, that these conversations are happening, uh, that people see it, that Starbucks workers see it this way, that this is not just about uh, wages and benefits, but is about building power. I mean, nothing could be more encouraging for the future. I was going to kind of say the same thing as Billy as well, where it's like it very much speaks to the region. It's a, it's a very Pacific Northwest thing to to, to want to get behind a movement. It's exactly like what Billy said in Olympia. I think same thing in Seattle, same thing in, in Portland. We love a cause. And I think that's going to be the, the power in the movement in that it's, a you know, for me, the reason I've always been with unions has been for, you know, protections and 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 having that extra, you know, layer between me and discrimination. That's why I've always worked in union workplaces. And, but I do recognize the shortfalls of, um, I want to describe it, business unionism. You know, I, I don't necessarily see, I don't have, you know, necessarily the same perspective as, uh, Shama Sawant has, but at the same time, I do see like a lot of the flaws with business unionism and the power that having, you know, when we have this energy and we have this motivation and this, and this community behind us in a fight, you know, use it while we got it. Cause Sometimes movements fizzle out and we don't want that to happen when we're only halfway through this. And, you know, it's we're we're we are we are going really quick with this and really strong with it. And it is um, I think that is to our favor. And I think it's just because it's it's the kind of movement that people can really easily get behind and they want to see, you know, they want they want to see a change. They want to see something shaken up. They want to see like, they're t- you know, I think people are tired of every big movement that starts just getting like crushed and you know, and stomped out and you know, yeah. now here we are and we're blazing this path and they ha- they're trying and they haven't got us. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of like issue movements that start and fizzle out uh, do so. I would, you know, broadly speaking, because as many people as you get interested in something does not necessarily give you an equal level of power. But uh, that's that's the point of uniting a working class is uh, asserting the power that the working class naturally could have in an economy because we do the fucking work. So this, yeah, really could be different. Yeah, no, I agree. I really think um, there's a broader picture to this. And I think people are seeing that 
this is a movement that could be very easily connected to that because it is so central to the interests of the working class. And it's been a while since we've had a movement that has really spoken to the interests explicitly of the working class as a whole. Mm -hmm. And I think that that can be a really uniting force if people let it be towards other ends of that all impact people because of class like climate change, which is going to impact the working class first. Uh, yeah, I'd like to see this movement grow, this union grow and yeah, wield political power. I'd like to see the last president of the United States be a Starbucks workers United barista. About that, <laughs> that'd be something. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, it is truly the only. And if you really think about it, like you know, the reason why electoral politics kind of feels so empty and that nothing really gets done, and that you know, movies like Don't Look Up, for instance, like I think resonated with so many people, is because there really is like really no um, class power and leverage there. Like ultimately, these decisions are um, you know based around class interests and right now the capitalist class controls those and are organized where um you know the u.s working class for so many decades have been you know um stomped out and don't have leverage so you know i think like in order to tackle really big um issues that uh are against the interests of capital like you know curbing um you know uh emissions in a very uh, aggressive manner like addressing the climate crisis um, you know, stopping wars uh, abroad. I think that they, that all starts with organizing labor in a, in a very, you know, class conscious way that goes even beyond, um, you know, that probably starts out like within issues in the workplace, but then, you know, branches out and, you know, connects to other, uh, you know, labor unions to the point where we can now collectively make decisions on behalf of the people instead of, you know, being controlled by capital. So that's that's really exciting to hear. I was just thinking about this while um, it actually came to mind while Sydney was talking. Um, I think a big part of this as well, like what's giving us kind of like a motivation and a, and a little bit of a, a, a you know the spark of energy is there's a big amount of intersectionality here, and I know that's mm-hmm. like like a you know the hot word to throw around sometimes, but I think it truly is. You know, people that a lot of people who work for Starbucks, I feel like have a much higher proportionally there's a much higher amount of people who are also marginalized in other aspects of their life compared to a lot of, uh, you know, broad industries, uh, so to speak, you know, it's a, it's a very, it's like, in a, it's a, it's an industry union rather than it being like a specific, like create trade craft or like place or whatnot. And it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's something that like, especially in like the, you know, LGBT slash queer movement is being like, that's where you work. If you work in places around the country that are more hostile to you, you know, I, tons of people at the rose trees say like, yeah, you know, I worked at Starbucks when I lived in the South because that was the only safe space for, you know, queer people. I could truly be myself in the workplace. And I, I think that speaks a lot to, you know, when you're tired of being stomped on as a working class and then you're always shot down because you're marginalized in other ways. I think it provides this, this multiple levels of like multiple levels of support from the community and multiple levels of like, things that we want to fight for. And that's what's really giving this movement a lot of energy and fire. Mm. And multiple levels of awareness too, because you're coming into this with perspectives of being queer, of being, you know, person of color, being marginalized in other ways. So you understand how these issues all intersect with one another. Yeah. It's really just this movement is about uplifting the voices of those most marginalized among us. Um, Definitely about, I think anyway, creating lifelong activists, um, personally, I didn't grow up, uh, being encouraged to, 
speak up for myself. Let's just say that. Um, I was raised by conservatives. Um, so this is huge. Um, it's massive to be able to um, be not only like supported by this community, but also like given a space to fight for, you know, people who are almost always silenced. Billy, you should run for public office. I'd vote for you. Oh my God. I have Me a too. blazer. I have a blazer. <laughs> yeah, so. you look so yes! professional. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all, all, all power to uh, an intersectional working class. Uh, yeah. And um, yeah, I'll, I'll be there to knock doors, do whatever, march in 10 years for uh, Billy or anyone else who wants to <laughs> run for president on the uh, Starbucks Workers United ticket. So yeah, sounds good. <laughs> all right uh gang uh comrades thank you so much for coming on um it's mm-hmm. been really awesome i think we've learned some uh really encouraging uh news from you and uh yeah uh keep up the good fight uh keep doing the good work um hopefully uh everyone at every starbucks in america is hearing uh <laughs> about what you're doing and and people who work other places too absolutely oh, thank you so much yeah thanks for coming on this is so so awesome to hear y'all's stories it's, it's, I'm, I'm inspired right now so you know i don't know just like keep <laughs> it up the goal. Yeah. inspiration yeah. Cool. solidarity <laughs> yeah. solidarity all right thanks guys well, thank you and uh you. yeah keep up the good work we'll see you around mm-hmm. be safe have fun <laughs> <laughs> indeed all right bye oh so Breaking news. A funny thing happened after uh, y'all finished recording yesterday. A leaked draft opinion revealed that the Supreme Court will be overturning Roe v. Wade later this summer. Who could have seen this coming? Obviously nobody. It came out of nowhere. Um, Justice Alito has since confirmed that the draft uh, decision is real. Uh, So yeah. Yeah. you know, hot news coming out in a couple months, right, out of uh, D.C. Uh, this decision, just to be clear, eviscerates the right to privacy, which is what Roe stood on. Uh, weekly. It stood weekly on. Yeah, yeah. Roe's a bad case, by the way. I mean, th- this was uh, a terrible thing to just put all your eggs in the basket of. Uh, you know, in the last 49 years, I don't know, some party should have done something about this, but whatever. I guess one did, right? Um, yeah. They you know. fixed that problem in the jurisprudence, <laughs> the bad uh, decision based on uh, shaky reasoning that do- doesn't even make sense when you read it uh, and seems a little silly f- to as a way to uh, enshrine like bodily autonomy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. They fixed that problem. Yeah. It is now fixed. And in so doing, it actually fixes a whole lot of other uh critical cases that are uh, you know enshrined rights based off of the same premise of right to privacy such as you know your right to have access to contraception or uh the right to gay marriage or uh here's a fun blast from the past the right to interracial marriage is actually based off of your right to privacy as well as well as your right to not be forcibly sterilized by the state uh although i gotta say uh, they still do that in prisons guys i hate to tell you um that one they just ignored from the beginning 
Well, um, I mean, hey, if you can do slavery in prisons, then, you know, pretty much hey, anything's on the table. That is enshrined in the Constitution. That is, that, that is, that is <laughs> yes, that's a much, that is built on firm ground, not the fucking quicksand that all of, like, late 20th century, uh, you know, social rights are based on. Exactly. Well, you know, it's, I again, I mean, this is just a long litany of rights that the Democratic Party has simply refused to codify in law at any point uh, because they like to hold it over the heads of their voting banks every election. And here we are. And hey, and why not? Because it gets better, Brian. We're on like... <laughs> The arrow of progress. Yeah, the fuck. We're just shooting forward, you know, slowly. Uh, you know, uh, the tortoise wins the race, right? Slow and steady. Um, but we're always moving forward. Uh, into the you know toward the right side of history. The arc, you know, bending toward justice, freedom. You know, politics. What's that? <laughs> we're twisting, turning, and twirling. Always twirling, twirling towards the future. <laughs> Oh, my God. I don't know. Maybe this isn't the right, like, immediate emotional response. Like, but it's hard to, you know, when you've been saying to yourself and other people and hearing the the only people who see what's going on in the world and the country saying, like, that this kind of shit is coming inevitably um, for so long. I mean, for decades, but then also really uh, since... Uh, the Obama, the end of the Obama administration, when uh, particularly when uh, Ginsburg refused to retire, uh, <laughs> it's hard not it's hard not to it's hard to muster the kind of like shock over the um, material reality that this is going to uh, result in in people's lives in this country. Um, it's hard to muster that shock because. Uh, you know, as horrifying as this is, it's been coming for a long time and it's already the reality for fucking most or at least half the people in the poor people in this country. Like mm -hmm. there's already plenty of places where it's virtually impossible to get an abortion and where people are oppressed in various ways, policed, harassed um, uh, and unprotected on the basis, you know, of these other social rights we're talking about. That's the reality. We know this. We know this move of, you know, knocking down this fucking sandcastle of Roe v. Wade was coming. So I'm sorry, I can't, I can't muster the kind of like outrage and shock that maybe I would want to, uh, because that's not the moment that's happening here to me. What's happening. All I have, uh, maybe this is my, online poison fucking dirtbag left brain you know brain disease but like all i have is just a pure white hot rage and hatred for the democrats fuck yeah. you barack obama rot in fucking hell fuck you nancy pelosi hillary clinton fucking bill clinton these people who, Ginsburg. <laughs> who fucking yeah. ran for decades on protecting not just abortion but on gay rights while all the while doing fucking dick uh, to uh, actually protect any of that. Fucking Barack Obama, that fucking piece of shit, ran against gay marriage in 2008 yeah. and let the Supreme Court actually, uh, a Supreme Court which, you know, 
he really hadn't even had much of an effect on at that point uh uh make gay marriage a reality and then they all fucking took credit for it uh hillary clinton same thing uh he ran at the same time promising to enshrine fucking abortion rights in law to uh put some fucking girders into that sandcastle shore up that foundation just then told everybody to fuck off but still they continue to run on it hillary clinton running in 2016 with fucking tim kane on the ballot (laughs) anti-abortion uh guy fucking weird catholic anti-abortion freak um and they will and they will still and and as they fucking stab you in the back as they've let these on this on abortion as they've let the right to abortion the access to abortion literally erode over the last 20 years um at, they will still like take credit for defending that and for uh making gay marriage a reality which again also built on sand and done and not done at all by democrats and that's 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 where i am like and now you know it's the second this came down everybody had the same thought that they're just going to fucking fundraise on this. Yep. They are go the imme- the emails went out fucking immediately. And I was just reading fucking Jay Inslee. He's oh, he's all hot and bothered. He's out there ready to defend the uh rights of uh women here. And how is he going to do that? He's holding a press conference at Cary Park. Uh <laughs> the the overlook for the best photos of the Seattle skyline. Uh one obviously because it's going to make a beautiful campaign ad. Uh, two because uh, it's so small and hard to get to that like uh, not many people will be able to show up. Therefore, yeah. like explicit Deep in Queen Anne, the richest yeah. neighborhood in Seattle, <laughs> up on a like winding streets up a hill uh, and a small park. So like completely opposed, oppositional to the only thing that could will could possibly uh forestall though that i don't think that's possible at this point this particular thing from happening but in a larger sense actually uh protect anyone's fucking uh bodily autonomy in this country and that's masses of people demanding it so totally uh oppositional to that and then i love you pointed this out brian that uh the other reason is he can't do it at the fucking capital because the capital's occupied by the trucker chuds um that they're just letting you know do whatever they're doing there and so like mill uh, around i drove by them on saturday mill around mainly it's literally not even available as a spot for a rally uh for uh you know bodily autonomy yeah and look you know we'll get into the details of how the democratic party essentially midwifed this reality into existence you know why they're not going to do anything about it also by the way fucking patty murray and i'm all i also just read this fucking long ass tweet thread from washington state senate washington senator patty murray bemoaning the this crisis uh you know uh rending her garment about like what this is gonna mean taking a fucking like podcaster style victory lap on on predicting that this was coming that this was inevitable like i've been telling (laughs) you and that's our fucking and our our lane yes that yeah uh stay stay out um (laughs) and you you read through this shit 
waiting for like, okay, what are you going to do? Because there's a list of shit you could be talking about doing and you get and finally get to the end and it's we need to fight back with everything we've got right now. The right to abortion is on the line and I will never stop fighting to protect it. How, I mean, bitch? Yeah, starting How? would have been a good, you know, starting to do it at all would have been good. But uh, you could be saying right now, we're passing legislation this week. We're overturning the filibuster. You could have said that right now. <laughs> Fuck you. You also yeah. could have done it over the last 20 years. Fuck you. Yeah, at any point. But we'll get into the details of all yeah. that in our uh, Patreon later this week. Maybe some comments about what to do about it might need to be behind a paywall. <laughs> uh, yeah. But uh, we'll get into the details. But for now, I just thought, you know, it's the next morning, right? We uh, were ready to just just take a look at some hot takes, right? Oh, and yeah. Just right off the bat, I, I just wanted to look at, yeah, some of these official, you know, what we could call official responses from the Democratic Party, right? Oh. Uh, you know, the Democratic Party has one poster who rules over them all. And you can bet she was the first one into the breach. Hell that, yes. That, of course, is Neera Tandon. And, you know, I hate her, but I kind of don't on some level because I appreciate the posting energy, uh, presumably while uh, wine drunk and pilled out of her fucking gourd. Uh, Neera Tandon responded to this news within minutes of it coming out with 2016 was a big year and it was important to vote. <laughs> So fuck. It was important to vote for Tim Kaine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, forget the fact that Hillary Clinton ran with an anti-abortion VP. That Pelosi's big message that year was, "Hey, you know, you don't have to be pro, you know, choice to be a Democrat, right? We got plenty of room for anti-choice <laughs> people in this coalition or whatever." It's like they literally pivoted in 2016 against abortion. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. but you know, whatever, Look, right? Uh, pivoted but, from. <laughs> The I mean, doing nothing, (laughs) pivoting from no pivoting from decades of act being of actively undermining uh, the right to abortion to pander to the right safe, legal and rare. Like we don't have to get into to picking this apart, but safe, legal and rare is uh, was the Democrats like dipping their toe into like a full like party wide anti-abortion policy. I'm sorry. That's what that rhetoric leads you to ultimately. Oh yeah, of course. Well, it it begins from the concept of this is bad. Yeah. (laughs) Which is like, well then why not get rid of it? It's the obvious logical answer, but especially in a carceral society such as ours. But uh, I also like this because Neera Tannen also represents the sort of reflexive like muscles of the democratic party, which was, and we saw this immediately. This is Bernie Sanders fault. Yeah, Bernie and Susan Sarandon and you and me <laughs> did this. And the dirtbag left. Yeah, Bernie Sanders so who's, fucking cool. who's secretly controlled national politics for decades now behind the scenes with his wily ways and his control, his squid-like tentacles wrapped around national politics. Oh, wait, this is, this sort of sound like something else for a second. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, seriously. I mean, you know, that's not to give Bernie a I the, yeah, blaming him and and us, frankly, yeah, is ludicrous. It's not to give Bernie a pass on on this shit. I don't, I don't, without really remembering too hard, or I, I don't think he's been the kind of stalwart on this issue that um you would want him to be over the last thirty years. Yeah, I mean, but, you know, whether he whether he is or not, he's a totally marginalized force yeah, yeah, exactly. in the Democratic Party. Yeah. Like, I mean, so it's it's pointless, you know. Yeah. Um. Well, 
you know, from Nira, of course, we had to get Ted Lou, the tweeting congressman. Mm. Had to, he, he followed her into the breach immediately afterwards. Um, letting people know, and this is a very Democrat tweet, we don't have the votes right now to overcome a Republican filibuster, but we can change that by electing more Democrats. So essentially just doing the hands up in the air, uh, maybe vote <laughs> tweet. <laughs> Incredible. And this the last one. The strategy, the, the just the cravenness of that, sure, all that's like obvious, but like the inc- trying to muster like uh, sentiment around this as a crisis and then having undercutting that with the total lack of urgency that's like, we'll whip them in November. It's it's fucking May. <laughs> Well, uh, I hate to tell you, but this is from, you know, Sean Patrick Maloney, who's a congressman out of New York, but most importantly is the chair of the DCC, uh, which basically controls like campaign funds and access to like voter lists and things like that. Uh, so again, a an actual big muckety-muck in the Democratic Party, not just a tweeting guy like Ted Lieu. Uh, Democrats, we're angry and hurt. I know. But it's not about filibuster, size of the court, or what the Senate hasn't passed. <laughs> Very convenient for the Democrats. This isn't about what the Senate hasn't passed. It's about Republicans, not us. We can save our freedoms. But it's November, stupid. So, <laughs> I think... What, what do you even say to that? Like, what the fuck is again, he talking about? This is the head of the DCC who's basically telling you, this is the guy who runs, essentially coordinates Democratic campaigns across the country. And he's telling you, look, we're not going to do anything, okay? So fucking vote for us in November, you fucking idiot. And it's like, but why? <laughs> why would I do that? <laughs> and this is, this is the Democrat dilemma of they consistently tell you and then show you that they will do nothing for you and will actually just fuck you over and over and over again. But also, uh, they demand your vote. You're a bad person for not doing it. <laughs> you know, uh, liberal dilemma. Well, let's go to let's go to the lib brain here. All right. So we've heard from the party. Time to hear from the base. So the first perfect tweet from the base is from Joyce Aline, who I had to look this up. But uh, oh my god. Her, her handle is Joyce White Vance. That opens up so many questions. But it's a law professor slash NMSNBC talking head on legal issues. But I like this. If Alito gets a majority for his opinion in current form, the dissents are going to be very powerful. Saying women, sh- women shouldn't have rights today because it wasn't custom and history in this country for men to grant them to them may not turn out to be the compelling argument he thinks it is. Oh my fucking god! Do you know what the word "powerful" means? That's li- <laughs> you're literally describing something that has nothing to do with power. Like this. So this is one half of the lib brain, right? Oh my Who, god! You know, in doing nothing, looks at the world and says, "Yes, but my but my dissents will be so powerful." I mean, these are the people they that may like, oh, take away my rights and uh, you know f- eventually put me in a camp, but. You know, I will get off some cutting remarks that will uh, damage them for forever. You know, they'll they'll live on knowing that uh, I got one over on them by their own logic. Well, it's like looking at the like litany of Holocaust memoirs and being like, yeah, the Holocaust might have been bad, 
But the literature that came out of it was very powerful. So was it bad in the end? You know, I mean, like this is incredible stuff. So, I mean, just losers from the start. Right. I mean, that's that's the main thing. It's just losers from the get. Right. But that then kicks us to the other part of the Democratic brain, the darker, more id-like corner. This is from Amanda Duarte, who is uh, some sort of Hollywood sicko. Uh, You know, who knows? Looked up her IMDb page. uh, Didn't know, didn't care. Uh, But again, immediately after the decision posted, presumably pilled out of her mind. I do wonder how these white supremacist lawmakers would feel if their little white daughters were raped and impregnated by black men. And we reach the other side of the Democrats' brain. Uh, 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 Jesus. (laughs) She literally looked in the mirror and was like, I gotta get a lot more racist. Yeah, yeah. Send tweet. (laughs) I mean... Yeah, I, I mean... What this tells me is that they have, these people have nothing. They have nothing. And so all all they have left to like, to fall back on to explain or react to this shit, because they have no real understanding of the world or power or anything, is whatever darkness is in their mind whatever like horrifying nightmares lurking in there in this case it's racism obviously (laughs) uh just really gross uh anti-blackness and and the path there was the the utter and total impotence that is hypocrisy baiting yeah like yeah just the 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 absolute bankruptcy of baiting conservatives on hypocrisy and and this that's where it, that's where it gets you is is there and you haven't ste- you haven't stepped forward one step you've just mm. like outed yourself as a fucking freak and a racist oh yeah yeah and i mean it again too i mean what's the logic of this hypocrisy baiting is the court just supposed to go Oh, you're right. We were also overturning loving and we're going to arrest every uh, like interracial couple in America. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, your argument seems to be like, I'm a lot more racist. They got to get even more racist. I, I, you know, what's the logic here? But the, the answer is you're right. They have nothing, right? And the Democratic Party's always had nothing because they actually don't give a shit about any of this, right? And that's, that's what ultimately has been shown in the last 24 hours. They're going to do nothing. They don't give a shit about any of this stuff. And, uh, you know, like I said, you know, maybe we'll have we'll have to have a larger discussion of this, maybe uh, hidden behind something. But but it's it's you know, it's a fucking disaster. But it's not a anything that's new or surprising. As you mentioned earlier, this has been a slow rolling disaster for decades. Everybody saw this coming, and uh, this is what the Democrat Party's chosen to do with that. So, you know, what can you say? All right. Fuck Joe Brandon. There you go. Uh, Joe Biden, by the way, also famously anti-abortion. But, you know, uh, yeah, the Democrats are definitely going to do something to stop this. All right. Well, uh, on that high note, uh, later this week, like I said, we'll have more once we can kind of get our thoughts a little more together and stuff. But uh, I kind of feel like uh, I feel like we've cracked the nut here, but we'll we'll get into it a little later this week. See everybody on the Patreon. 
Uh, hope everybody enjoyed the Starbucks uh, union episode. Support your local union organizers. Support Starbucks workers who are trying to unionize everywhere. Support Amazon workers. I know we were dealt a little tough hand uh, this weekend from uh, yeah. you know Amazon New York, but that's that's the way the game goes. Got to keep got to keep it in the trenches. Got to keep fighting. Uh, look. Fuck Democrats. Give your money to union organizers. How about that? All right. Mm -hmm. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye.